Welcome to episode 40 of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Today is Friday, September 18th. And on today's podcast, we're going to be discussing all of the latest updates surrounding how COVID-19 has impacted the entire connected aircraft ecosystem, ranging from airlines to suppliers and service providers with Valor Consultancy. But first, we are just a few days away from the first day of the second installment of our online Global Connected Aircraft Cabin Chats web series. This is a three-day event that is starting Tuesday, September 22nd at 11 a.m. with a discussion of the latest regulatory cybersecurity policy updates in the U.S. and Europe, led by speakers from the FAA and EASA. So you won't want to miss that one. That is Tuesday, September 22nd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and we will have a few more sessions that day as well as other sessions running throughout the week between Tuesday, September 22nd and Thursday, September 24th. So look out for all of the updates about Cabin Chats on our website, gcasummit.com slash cabin chats. So on today's episode, I recently caught up with Daniel Welch. He is the senior consultant with Valor Consultancy which is one of the industry's most well-known consulting firms that has a team of expert analysts for all things in-flight connectivity. Valor recently published its second quarter in-flight connectivity tracker report and other data about how aircraft are being disconnected because of COVID-19, which actually turns out to be not that many aircraft that are being disconnected or you know, airlines are taking internet off their aircraft, according to Valor's latest reports on this. We also discussed some regional trends and activity in different areas of the world. So let's get into our discussion with Daniel Welch of Valor Consultancy. So Daniel, the last time we had you on the podcast was prior to the outbreak of major travel restrictions and the global airline industry seeing air travel demand drop significantly. Um, Valor recently published its second quarter report. Can you start just by giving us some perspective on COVID-19's impact on airlines in particular and how that has impacted the overall sort of in-flight connective, uh, connectivity ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we so we published our, our results um, about three weeks ago from the uh, from our quarterly in-flight connectivity tracker. Um, and, and actually, you know, there's been a significant impact on airlines. Uh, obviously, uh, we've seen that play out globally around the world. Um, and that's something I think that we'll see uh, we'll continue to see throughout the rest of this year. Um, but from an in-flight connectivity point of view, uh, again, a lot of the a lot of the headlines have been negative. A lot of the perception has been uh, relatively negative. But so far, it, it, as we look into Q2, that negativity hasn't actually um, played its way into 
impacting the installed base uh, all that much. And, and actually, some of the headlines that that we take away from that from the quarterly connectivity tracker um, has been that actually things aren't that bad just yet. Um, so we, we've seen the, the the installed base drop uh, very slightly by about 40 aircraft. Um, and retirements have been a big part of that, which I'll come on to in a moment. But the installed base has continued to tick on. So activations have, have continued to happen uh, across Q2. And so the way that that's played out is that the, the installed base hasn't dropped uh, too significantly uh, just yet. So actually, when we when we show off these results to, to our clients, uh, the feedback that we get straight away is that, oh, it's, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, that's actually a bit better than what we expected. Um, and at the top level, that that certainly is uh, how it's playing out. But when you start to dig down into some of the data, um, that we actually start to see um, a lot of the impact come through. Uh, and and I'll, I'll break that down now. So I think what we what we've seen is um, is a is a number of waves um, come through in uh, the impact to, to airlines, and 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 this is where we'll start at the ground level, really. Um, and in in wave one, as we call it, we saw. Uh, a deactivation of uh, of some services, uh, at least uh, at least temporarily, um, where some airlines uh, turned off their their in-flight connectivity services, uh, most notably over in this part of the world, Qantas, uh, that temporarily switched off their Viasat network um, uh, whilst whilst things were were quite were quite bad, um, and that's actually been switched back on uh, since on on their domestic aircraft that, that are flying today. Um, we also saw in, in this wave one the immediate impact um, was grounding of aircraft, um, and we estimate that there were approximately um, uh, well half of the at least half of the connected installed base um, were grounded at the end of Q2. Uh, so that's half of all connected aircraft um, were, were grounded at the end of uh, the end of June. Um, so that's where we saw um, really the, the the immediate impact. Um, the second wave is um, linked to uh, decision making around retirement, uh, and we've seen a number of airlines um, make fairly quick decisions, actually, particularly in the U.S., about retiring uh, aircraft, um, short haul and long haul. Um, and the majority of the, the impact of that is expected to play out across Q2, Q3, Q4, even into next year. Um, so we're likely to see uh, a, a big impact of that. Um, and, a, and a renegotiation of um, in-flight connectivity fees. Um, so between both the airline and the service provider, and then subsequently the service provider to the capacity owners. Um, and that obviously came uh, as a push from the airlines to to have fees waived, uh, deferred, um, you know, reduced temporarily. Um, and, and those conversations are still ongoing today. And, and some service providers have, uh, have gone through that process extremely well uh, and been able to to offer airlines uh, specific uh, terms on those on those payments due and in some cases that hasn't gone uh, as well um, and so you know some airline customers have not necessarily had the the cuts that they were hoping to receive um, now in the long term that the final element the final impact of coronavirus is that we're going to see um, in the longer term, um, impacts on um, new aircraft deliveries, uh, installations, um, because quite frankly, airlines have, have had to uh, cut all non-essential spend and in-flight connectivity very much falls into that bracket. 
So we are likely to see that play out over the longer term as opposed to something that, that's a little bit more short term where we see you know, the grounding and retirements. And, and I think that longer term impact is actually where we're going to see um, the biggest impact on you know, our forecasts and, um, and, and on the market, quite frankly. Um, that's, that's where we see the biggest impact for sure. And this is exactly why we wanted to get you on the podcast uh, right around this time is because, you know, the way you just broke down how, you know, COVID-19 has impacted the overall ecosystem is great. Now, I wanted to follow up on one point that you sort of touched on there and but maybe expand on a little bit more. What about those airlines that had maybe new in-flight connectivity orders, you know, ongoing before the major sort of travel and um, restrictions played in and you saw this passenger demand drop and you had to see all these aircraft retirements like you mentioned. What about those airlines? I mean, have you seen any activity there where those people who already had orders, you know, just recently placed, are they choosing to defer those or are those sort of still continuing? Yeah, um, we're seeing we're seeing a number of airlines defer retrofit programs and um i mean certainly yeah new orders of aircraft but certainly retrofit programs as well that would take place not necessarily this year because uh, a lot of those programs were 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 contracted already and and have since um you know taken place you know which is what we're seeing coming through in in the tracker um but we're look when you look into next year and perhaps the next two or three years there's definitely an impact on um, on those on those retrofit and line fit programs, whether that be through new deliveries or um, you know retrofit programs that are due to take place with aircraft being grounded uh, for for a little bit of time. Now, there's still airlines that will will no doubt carry out uh, retrofits of in-flight connectivity um, and, and use the opportunity for while those aircraft are being grounded uh, to to equip. Uh, those those specific aircraft with with the hardware and, and the service, although those aircraft might not necessarily fly immediately, um, there'll be those airlines that look to take advantage of that, particularly around the Middle East, uh, the, the wealthier regions. Uh, but even there, you know, we're seeing uh, investment cut and spending cut, and so um, you know, there's definitely going to be um, going to be an impact on on retrofit programs. Which you know, to your question earlier, what does that do to the the ecosystem? Well, we're seeing this play out quite significantly on on the, the integrators, the MRO networks, and and the service providers. Um, with with a lot of these programs unlikely to happen um, now, and and a large number of international flying aircraft grounded, um, it, it's playing out quite significantly across the ecosystem. Whereby you know we're seeing large cuts um, to to staff uh, across the service providers, offices closed around the world. Um, and uh, yeah, with the with the MROs, they're they're looking at at least a, you know a, a two or three year period where um, where they're telling us that their their you know their programs have been uh, cut quite significantly, their their order books have been cut quite significantly. So uh, from what they're saying to us and from what we're seeing from the airline sentiment, it looks like you know we're in for a, a two or three year period where. Um, the main focus of airlines won't be in-flight connectivity, at least for those that don't have it yet. Um, the main focus for them will be to, to get passengers from A to B, start to increase sentiment of those passengers and try to get them back on board um, as opposed to necessarily installing you know, the in-flight connectivity systems. 
And you know, you mentioned Qantas earlier and you know how they did choose to turn off their IFC there temporarily. Now you're based there in Australia and that's one area, you know, the Asia Pacific where we haven't covered as much on the podcast lately. What can you tell us just about any regional trends or insights that your quarterly trackers saw in that area of the world? Um, well, I would say at the moment, I, I think it's not really it's not really highlighted too much um, from from Asia Pac. Because I mean, quite frankly, the installed base uh, of connected aircraft isn't isn't large enough uh, yet for us to see um, any any trends play out just just here. Um, but I mean, Asia Asia Pac hasn't been spared um, from uh, from the grounding. So you know, we look across where those four thousand aircraft that that have been grounded sit, and there's a relatively even spread where we see about half of the installed base over in Asia Pac uh, grounded, um, over half in Western Europe, and and North America has the the highest volume of grounded aircraft, unsurprisingly. Um, you know, approximately uh, 2,000 aircraft of, uh, of the 4,000 that are grounded at the end of June uh, came out of that region. Um, but what, what we have seen play out a, a couple of things. Um, I think over over here, we, I mean, long haul travel has been completely decimated. And, uh, you know, Qantas have said that they don't intend to fly long haul until in, way into 2021. Um, you know, which which kind of falls into play with the government um, policies over here at, at the moment, um, and and I think you know that's that spreads around the the entire region because there is that reliance on international travel as opposed to having you know quite a, a large domestic market. I mean, Australia certainly does have that, and and if you look at China, that obviously is a, a large domestic market as well, but. Across the rest of Asia Pac, there is that need to travel between, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Japan, Korea, uh, to Hong Kong, and without travel bubbles being opened up, um, we're going to see airlines recovery like um, limited somewhat by by that. So there's been a lot of focus on on governments in, uh, creating these travel bubbles that have taken quite a long time to to bring about, but now we're actually starting. To see some movement with Singapore, for example, um, initiating a number of travel bubbles across the Asia region uh, to likes of Malaysia and New Zealand and, and many other markets. And likewise, Japan um, open uh, travel bubbles to, at the moment, eight countries. Um, but that's due to be extended quite significantly in, in the next few months uh, with other countries added. Um, and I think the, the slight benefit here is that we seem to be um, obviously because the, the epicenter of the pandemic was in this part of the world. Um, and this seems to be, you know, a slight um, being ahead of the curve, I would say um, uh, across this, this area of the world. So um, it looks like we're, we're going to see a number of uh, these travel bubbles installed and, and maybe that might bring some relief, much needed relief to the airline community. And that in turn would then in, uh, positively impact, um, you know the in-flight connectivity market, but again, that's um, when we're coming into the winter schedule of the northern hemisphere now. That that might be uh, again capped somewhat. And building on your what you said about regional, you know, not only regionally but just international flying is 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 way down, like you said. Um, what about within your quarterly tracker or? you know, everything that you all are covering at Valor, are you seeing in terms of 
regional airliners. Now, that's one of the trends that I always notice is that, you know, the international long, you know, long haul aircraft for passenger airlines usually do feature in-flight internet. I mean, most of the major carriers prior to COVID-19 were featuring some some form of in-flight internet on their long-haul aircraft. Now, regionally is where you would see the drop-off, like, you know, carriers like EasyJet, regional carriers within Europe, usually you're not finding in-flight internet on those carriers. How has that trend played out, you know, based on the COVID-19 restrictions now where most of the flights that you would see carriers operating right now are regional flights. I mean, how has that kind of um, impacted the data that you all cover within your quarterly tracker? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, this extends beyond the quarterly tracker in, into some of our, uh, into our, into our reports. And um, we're, we've just actually produced the, the 2020 in-flight connectivity um, report that forecasts out to, to 2029 um and and in that you know we we look at the penetration of narrow body uh well short haul travel um or, or long haul as well and in asia it like you you correctly point out that on a wide body aircraft um in flight connectivity um is much more proliferate there uh we tend to see it on more of those wide body aircraft as opposed to uh, on short haul um and and that plays out so in 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 asia for example about we estimate 13 percent of all narrow bodies um, have in-flight connectivity um, as opposed to on the wide-body aircraft, which sits around 40-45% um, in this part of the world. And, and let me be clear, that that's still rel- relatively low when you compare it to the Middle East and North America. And, and we touched upon that in the last podcast, that the Asia region is, is still quite far behind um, some of those other markets. And, and that's why a lot of the opportunity sits in this part of the world. Um, so you know we do we do see that that is um, we do think there's going to be a focus on that narrow body market, particularly in the likes of um, of India, China, um, and, and other other areas. Um, we've had Qantas and Virgin Australia um, busy installing Wi-Fi on short haul uh, aircraft uh, out here, um, and we and we don't see that changing at any point soon. Um, the, the biggest uh, factor out here in, in Asia, at least, is that there's a lot of low-cost carriers um, in, in this part of the world that operate that the, the more regional um, segments. And so, convincing low-cost carriers at this point in time, in particular, to to install in-flight connectivity is going to be extremely hard, um, and uh, I mean, almost near on impossible, unless there's some you know big um, big change in the business model that comes about anytime soon. Um, and, and and so actually we see that remaining relatively low until towards the end of our current forecast period at the end of 2029 uh, when we get to when we start to see some traction. Uh, but I, I certainly think that um, a, a, amongst the major tier one carriers, um, having those aircraft equipped, those short haul aircraft equipped with um, with in-flight connectivity, uh, is certainly going to be going to be a factor. Uh, and if I may just extend onto that point, you know, if we look more globally. Um, we have seen a number of narrow body aircraft being installed with connectivity at the factory, um, particularly the A320neo family. Uh, there's a number of airlines that are still receiving those aircraft that are more fuel efficient, uh, more adaptable, more versatile. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of those aircraft come through uh, even today uh, and expected to come through into you know, 2021, 2022. 
Um, those are likely to be the driving factors behind new additions to the installed base, that, that particular family of aircraft. Uh, and assuming the MAX does get certified, um, that will also obviously have a, have a positive impact given how many aircraft, uh, how many MAX aircraft have in flight connectivity at this point. I see. And now, you know, we talked a little bit about the Asia Pacific region. Um, just, you know, since we since the last time we've talked to you, any uh, updates or just insights about the activity going on in the U.S. or European commercial airline markets? I mean, you know, American and United both announced, you know, major layoffs. Most of the major carriers here in the U.S. have an announced a lot of furloughs and layoffs. But just any any insights from an IFC point of view on the U.S. or, or European markets? I think um, if we look at the U.S. market, I think one of the um, the obviously the, the big focus point for at least the next couple of years will be Delta's transition away from KU uh, to what we believe and, and what seems to be the case will be KA. Um, that will obviously um, be be a major factor um, in in the U.S. market um, and, and change the game a little bit there. Um, we're also I think we're also seeing on, on a slightly negative. Um, Point of view, we're expecting to see there be more squeezing um, on the airlines in, in the US, more so than in other parts of the world, actually, given the size of the fleets um, across the US, particularly amongst the big four or five, uh, where we've got really you know quite significant fleets. And although a lot of retirements of, of aircraft um, specifically have been made and, and decisions taken already by you know Delta, American. Um, there's still a lot of there's still a long way to go actually in, in adjusting to the new norm because again I don't think this is necessarily a short term trend that we're looking at here I think there's a there's a, there's a reduction in demand a reduction in travel that's likely to be here for the foreseeable future um, and I think airlines in the US are going to have to um, adjust and I know the Boeing um, the Boeing CEO came out and. Um, suggested that we could also see one of the big four uh, go go under um and you know that's that's quite extreme uh, that could be seen as quite extreme but but actually you know when you look at the uh, the debt to cash ratios and uh, the size of these fleets and and how significantly impacted some of these airlines are uh, by the current uh, pandemic um it, you know it's completely feasible that we might see one of the big airlines go under um, which would be you know which would be very tough um for for a number of the vendors that, that serve that market from an IFC point of view, and obviously uh, more widely um, in the, the employment numbers uh, across that, that, that part of the world. So um, I think that's quite, you know, one of the big things. And, and that links into one of the questions. Another question is, you know, what, what are we focusing on going forward? And I think, you know, government when government support ends, that's going to be quite, um, a key moment, I think, for the for the entire aviation market and and more broadly speaking, uh, you know, the wider population. Um, when that government support ends, it's how many of these businesses can stand up on their own two feet. Um, and I think that's when we might see a bottoming out of uh, of this uh, of this impact of the, of the pandemic. Um, and so that's what we'll be keep, we'll be keeping our eye on. Um, in in Europe, we've seen that government support um, come through, but. Um, back to the point that you, you, you were asking me, in, in Europe, um, a lot of that government support has been, you know, linked to 
um, uh, uh, has been linked to emissions and, and greenhouse, um, you know, the, the, the greenhouse emissions uh, policy, the Paris Agreement. And, um, and I think that that's, that's what we're going to see, you know, play out across the next year or two is uh, what, what the implications of, of those bailout terms uh, for airlines. We've, we've now got government members on the boards of airlines that are overseeing expenditure. Um, we've got uh, airlines uh, such as Air France, KLM, uh, being tied to uh, to green terms, where they you know they have to promote alternative methods of transport on on certain short haul travel, um, you know, just to adhere to these bailout terms. And I, and I think watching that play out across the industry will be will be quite key. Um, and I, I do think that we're still slightly we're expecting to see a little bit more pain yet before uh, before anything improves. Yeah, I think you're certainly right in that perspective. Now, last week, you know, was a major uh, announcement in that Intelsat announced that it will acquire GoGo's commercial aviation business. Uh, And, you know, that creates a really interesting merging of service and equipment provider. Um, How does that acquisition change not only the IFC industry itself, but also just business models for airlines, you know, considering that you have a major service provider in Intelsat and GoGo coming together like that? Well, it's I mean, it's something that's that's been uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, We've we've spoken quite a lot. Um, and I know we're not the only ones that have spoken about the need for consolidation in this market. Um, and so it, it's about time uh, something happens, um, really, because there was a lot of squeezing going on in that middle layer of the um, of, of the chain. So, um, you know, I think it's a welcome uh, it's a welcome decision um, uh, across the industry and, and potentially have some positives. Uh, now, to the size of those changes I, I don't i don't quite know at this point whether it will be that significant on the business model um particularly from an airline point of view we we know through you know what viasat are doing uh, and to some extent what imarsat are bringing to the table that owning the capacity uh, and owning the majority of the chain tends to play out quite nicely for for that move toward free uh, and we've already seen that move to free um uh, anyway play out um, I think what this does is that it, it you know, it gives, it gives greater, it, it facilitates that move uh, and makes it a little bit more, and makes it a little bit more bearable uh, for those airlines that want to move toward free that are customers. Um, so I think on that point, it, it will have a, you know, relatively positive impact on on the business model. I don't think it'll be seismic because um, I do think there are still costs to cover across the, you know, from the airline point of view um, that for some. You know, might might make it still impossible to offer a free service to everyone, and and that exists for Viasat customers as well. You know, it's, there's no there's no link by owning the chain to, to offering free uh, to everyone. It just makes it a little bit more bearable. So, uh, nevertheless, that still is that still is positive. And um, I think what we will see though play out, uh, and, and let me be clear, it's it's a you know it's a positive deal for Intelsat. Um, you know, I think coming down that chain. Coming down the chain will will link up quite nicely for them, and so I do need to make sure that that, that that's on record. Um, but I, I do also think what we'll see subsequently is that there's a couple of vendors, you know, Panasonic Avionics, Global Eagle, um, that are perhaps right for a similar sort of acquisition, um, given you know their place and positioning in in the value chain today, 
where there is that you know immense squeezing going on between airlines wanting better deals capacity owners um you know not being able to offer them the terms that they want to to make money and so you know you could easily see panasonic just deciding to wave the white flag completely and, and perhaps want to move move back a little bit um given their you know their, their sizable install base still but you know are they making enough money from it from from their point of view and likewise global legal uh, i don't believe we've seen the last of the um the selling on their part, I think there'll be a bit of window dressing that goes on uh, goes on now, um, and uh, you know potential sale in, in the coming years uh, of that business as well uh, from the commercial aviation side. So I, I think it's probably started a couple of moves um, that will no doubt incur more change, um, and, and I think that we'll see more capacity owners come down the come down the chain to, to some extent and we'll also see new players emerge there's a lot of new labor um available now in the market that will no doubt have a perspective on how they can do things better and make that service provider model work because you know we do need that element of you know service providers um but i think there'll be there'll be some other companies perhaps more regionally focused that, that think they can do things better that will emerge in the coming years so we're certainly starting a very interesting phase, uh, a slightly disrupted phase, but no less um, one that could bring about a, a nice bit of change for the industry and much needed bit of change. Right. And speaking of change, before we do let you go, you know, you, you talked about earlier your, your reporting uh, forecast out to 2029. And interestingly enough, even though you do have all these grounded aircraft, you do have a lot of new networks planned and coming up that have been announced and discussed by some of the service providers we talked about. I mean, you know, GoGo still has its 5G network that it plans to launch next year. Smart Sky still isn't under underway yet. Um, we've been covering Luxstream a lot, which has yet to, you know, fully go on, uh, but is in, you know, testing and going live phase. What are your thoughts, you know, before we let you go, just about the prospects of all these new networks that are still planned and in development, uh, you know, kind of going forward for IFC? Well, and, and thank you for asking this, because I would like to, you know, make sure that we get across the fact that the sentiment towards in-flight connectivity um, remains extremely positive. Um, you know, we've seen a number of networks, even during lockdown, um, report really relatively good results um, with passengers wanting to be connected uh, whilst on the whilst on the aircraft, um, at least those that are travelling today, those few that are travelling, and whilst PLS might be down, you know, take rates amongst those reduced number of passengers are still relatively good, and you know the airlines recognise that in-flight connectivity is is a necessity as we recover and as the industry then begins to thrive in in the coming years, and connected aircraft and e-enablement will be you know a significant part of that. So I do believe that those networks that, that are coming online, you know, the new satellites that are due to be launched in the coming years um, across the vendors, uh, whether it's Imarsat with its HEO network, uh, its new GX network, GX satellites, uh, you've got Viasat with its, um, you know, Viasat 3 network and low Earth orbit satellites. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of these networks that are coming out and, and I think there is, a you know, an opportunity for in-flight connectivity um, providers to, to begin to make revenue uh, again, uh, that will that will no doubt come about. So I, I think the prospects are good. Um, I, I just think that you know what needs to happen as uh, this this sits a lot outside of just aviation is that 
this pandemic needs to be used as, a, as an opportunity as well as, you know, obviously um, a negative. There's opportunities here um, to focus more on making the existing customer bases happy in the next two or three years. Um, the rollout of digital applications will, uh, I, I believe, is, is, a, is a big part of that. And then beyond that, adapting the business models, looking internally at how things are done today and, and improving that to, to make that business model more effective. And, and I think that will play out uh, across the next you know, three to five years. Um, and, and I think the prospects are good. There's definitely a positive sentiment behind in-flight connectivity. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the, the long-term prospects are certainly good. Right. And so, you know, a lot to cover going forward. I think you definitely gave us quite a few topics that we definitely want to uh, follow up and cover here on the podcast moving forward. So uh, Daniel Welch of the Valor Consultancy, thanks for coming on the podcast today. So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.